Psalm 25. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come now, Lord, lead us again. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your Lord, in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We are just a bit of background. You heard me say this is a lectionary text. You may know the lectionary is a group of texts that, by their definition online, it's a three-year cycle of weekly, weekly readings that are used to varying degrees by the vast majority of mainline Protestant churches built around the seasons of the church year. So I like to dip in the lectionary now, and it's a book. All churches have access, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, etc., what I like about it is you never know what the lectionary is going to throw at you, so it's not just the pastor's favorites. You know, It gets me out of any tendencies I might have to drift towards certain texts. Fine as that may be at times, but it's good to make sure you're getting a lot of different scriptures in there. And they shape it to the church year. So this text gets us ready to get ready for Advent. So today's lectionary text, Psalm 25. Getting ready. Adventists... The etymology of Advent means coming, means arrival. Probably, like me and like my family the last few days, many of you have been decorating. I know for us to decorate our living room, we had to move things to get ready for the tree. For the tree to be just the right place, I had to move the TV and the TV stand, (laughs) which of course I crushed my finger a little bit moving the big old TV. But anyway, that's okay though. Um, But now the tree is in a place in a window with light. Likewise, in my office, I had to move the couch that sits in front of the window there under my in a beautiful window in my beautiful, amazing office, which is a gift of grace. Thank you all. Thank you, God. So I moved the couch. I had to pick it up and move it in the, to put the tree. And now the tree is in the window and you can see it from the street. And that tree preaches. Let me tell you, it's beautiful. Check it out. It'll be on. Look for it. Brother Kyle said it looked like a Norman Rockwell painting. We just need, we just need some snow, but. Even without the snow, it looks great. To get ready 
means we have to get some stuff out of the way. What do you have to get out of the way in order to get ready to be a light? And not really, we say, to be a light. It's not self-generated. But to reflect his light. What do you got to move? What effort do you have to, to make to get ready to display him? Again, it doesn't come from us. It comes from him. Make a path. Make a place. The tree is not just about the tree. It's about the lights and the life that come from it. Well, it's not only about moving stuff out of the way. It's also about replacing. We replace the spot with a tree full of light. And maybe our text is wanting to remind us that the number one, the number one thing to prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts that we have to make room for is another level of trust. In God, Lord, I trust you. Do you know what we're saying when we say that? Well, I had the rather deep sense this week that God, through our text, was beckoning us to trust him more. And that's way harder than it seems. We're a church in a, the first tra- pastoral transition 38 years, the first year of this huge pastoral transition as I'm the mantle passes uh, pastorally from Mark to me. That's huge. I realize that 38 years of Mark's amazing work here. Not only are we in a transition, we're in a transition of leadership in the midst of a global pandemic, which we're all fatigued and dealing with. And now we have this Omicron variant that sent the stock market spiraling pandemic fatigue and now a new dose of uncertainty and then we're a nation with deepest political divisions and violent and virulent political divisions that many of us can recall in our lifetimes and then here in our church we reside in one of the most wonderfully spiritually diverse but at times even can be hostile to Christianity um, soils and anti-church environments at times that, that there that there exists in the entire nation. We're in a place that that it, where there's a lot of competition and where there can even be hostility. And diversity is wonderful too and something to celebrate, but it also is challenging, right? So it's tempting to have anxiety about the future, isn't it? It could even be tempting to be pessimistic. And maybe most dangerous of all, it's tempting to want to take control, which is the opposite of trust. Want to seize control. You ever hear that saying? I'm going to take this saying on this morning. Pray like it all depends on you. Pray like it all depends on God. Pray like it all depends on God. Work like it all depends on you. You ever hear that? I want to suggest to you in light of the psalm today that that saying, that kind of folk theology gets it, gets it way wrong. King David's psalm makes clear in the midst of all the challenges we're facing, God does not really want us to challenge, God does not really want us to trust Him with our prayers. God wants us to trust Him with everything. So it's better to say, pray and work like it all depends on God, because God is totally dependable. And far from making us passive, that ups the ante because if God's work in us and around us and in spite of us is totally dependable, then we have no excuse to do anything but move in trust. King David is so sure of this that he declares, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. 
David, the psalmist writer, knows what it means to have enemies chasing him down, including a murderous king who lost his mind. To be a Christian in the 21st century is to have all kinds of enemies, even starting with ourselves. The internal enemies, the internal fight. We all face sins that rob us of our community, our resentments, our condemnations, our unforgiveness, our anger, our hate, our turning our backs and walking out on each other when the going gets tough, our giving up on each other. Some of our worst enemies are within us, as King David and St. Paul would be the first to acknowledge. Read Psalm 55 or Romans 7. Then there are the enemies outside us, national divisions that polarize and divide and separate. And rather than letting perfect love drive out fear, too often we let fear drive us apart. And there are networks across the political spectrum that make millions off of doing just that. And too often it's fear of this or that, or terror, or what if, or uh-oh, that suddenly replaces God at the center. And when fear becomes the engine, we've lost the plot. We've lost trust in God. Into that fear and into that anxiety, into that anger and unrest and uncertainty, David gives us a two-word prescription, trust God. If the Supreme Court goes this way or that way with whatever decision, trust God. If this president or that president is reelected or, or elected, trust God. If the stock market goes up or down or sideways, trust God. It doesn't mean we bury our heads or not engage or even debate. Of course we would do that. But we do that held first and foremost by trusting in God radically. Policies or political outcomes or cultural shifts, whether you and I like them or not, positive or negative, whatever we think they are, they never, ever, 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 ever can substitute for our trusting in God, for the God-centered, God-trusting life. We have to move those fears and anxieties out of the way in our living rooms, in our lives, in our office places, and put trust back where it belongs. The nation in peacetime needs to trust God, just as the nation in wartime does. The nation in economic boom needs to trust God, just as the nation in economic downturns does. We have to trust God with everything, our successes, our failures, everything in between. We're to place in our church's life across this crossroads, this moment which cultural and internal change and upheaval, where as we engage and experiment with new ministry ideas to reach out, the more we trust God, the freer we're going to be to try stuff. If you ever read the book of Acts, which we're studying every Wednesday, you'll discover that sometimes in the early church, people were directed to do something like take that road and go south. <laughs> and they weren't even always told what the outcome was going to be. Now that's trusting in God. Other times, God's people in Acts are obedient, they do everything right, and they face adverse, bad responses and consequences. And still, they press on. That's trusting God. Trusting God more than our particular plans, which can be ever-changing. 
trusting God more than our mission statements or our vision statements, which are fine and good to develop, but they can be a moving target. Trusting God more than our evaluations of what we think is or isn't happening by our standards and our plans. Because the Spirit will give us eyes to see new things that surprise us. I once worked with a colleague in a different church, not this one, who God was obviously at work in this person's ministry in a powerful way, but it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they kind of were demanding to happen. So they, for that and some other reasons, they left. They walked away from what God was doing. How sad. We are God's people in God's universe working off of God's logic. And trusting him goes all the way down to every plan, every assessment. It's ultimately, ultimately in his hands. His hands are, are endlessly sovereign. His hands are unstoppably creative. His hands take a few loaves and fishes and feeds thousands Right as we're struggling to believe, how is this even happening? There it is before our eyes. You see, no matter how hard we work, it's all always been a matter of trust. Because all we ever bring, all we've ever brought, is our loaves and fishes to the Master Jesus. As I once heard uh, preacher Tom Toole say, little becomes much when you put it in the Master's hands. That's trust. We trust him with our little loaves and fishes. That's all we ever have. And our master always is the one who has to work his magic. And trust means we're always counting on him to do so. Now the deep danger of the season we're in as a nation, as individuals, as a church, is that our lives are so flooded with fear and anxiety that it's easy for fear and anxiety to become our engine that we make the, the uh-oh, we better do something, we better do something. And we let fear and anxiety start to drive us. And if that's what we're running off of, it's like pouring acid into the engine. It'll strip everything. It'll wipe out the core. Instead, we have to, we have to get a tune-up. we got to pour trust in there. That's what makes the engine go. Radical trust that, as David says, God's got our back. To put it in the vernacular, constantly. Sometimes God will bring us joyful successes. Sometimes God will somehow use our successes to humble us. Sometimes God will use our mistakes to bless us or teach us. Sometimes God will turn something that looks like a mess into a thing of beauty. Sometimes God will take our best laid plans and decimate them so that we're stripped down to relying on him again. And sometimes, dot, 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 you fill in the blank. Endless possibilities when you trust, trust, and you have eyes of trust. It's very hard to move in trust when you are in a state of reactivity. When the part of our brain that serves our fight or flight impulse, that's meant for us to flee from bears, as I've talked about before, when that short circuits our trust, we lose the plot. But when we, instead of reacting to our challenges, we respond to our challenges with total trust in God, we're enabled to do three key things, among others. Number one, we can hear. We can actually hear God. 
in all the noise. Our amygdala isn't hijacked <laughs> and our the spirit can break in. We're not running or fleeing or in anger or interactivity. We can respond, hear God and respond to God. We can hope in God for whatever God may yet do in spite of what disappoints, disappoints us. And we can hug God and each other. This last point isn't cute. Hugging God. I don't mean to be cute by saying that. What does Jesus pray for in John 17, 21? He prays, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. It is only in that divine embrace. Notice he says, so that the world may believe. That being hugged by God and being held together in that divine Trinitarian embrace, that's the core of our witness because that's where trust flows from. Just as the enemy tried to divide the Father and the Son at the cross and failed, so the enemy tries to divide us from each other and from the Father. And the only safe place from that, the only safe place from that is living in God's divine Trinitarian embrace, hugged by God, hugging each other. You want to make a new space in your house? Make a space to be hugged by God and hug your family in the perfect love that drives out fear. That's the beginning of a way for us to make a way. If we're going to be living in fear and anxiety and anger, we're not going to be the road. We're going to be the roadblock. If we're going to live in love and freedom and trust, you can make a road through anything. How does your attitude, your words and actions in this or that situation in your life, how does that reflect your ultimate trust in God? Or maybe more simply, what do you need from God right now in order to trust him more? Thinking of Michael Teo Presbyterian and all of our challenges and like every church is facing right now. You know, we can come up, we can come up and we will come up and we are working on various kinds of plans and structures and systems to address them. Five months ago, our elder board, the session and I, began a, a conversation about how to address the fact that we really haven't had a children's ministry in this church in five years, as one older uh, couple told me this week. Now, by September, the conversation picked up steam, and now session is evaluating a very specific proposal to mobilize our resources to address the need. You'll hear more about that in coming weeks and months. But look, whatever specific plan our session leadership discerns, we are all still going to have to trust God more than we trust any plan or program. Whatever program or staffing configuration we have, this is still the collective effort that moves from our mutual collective trust in God. It's only our active trust in God that is going to free all of us to take risks in ministry creativity. Only our active trust in God will free us to be daring in reaching out. Only our active trust in God will enable us to really hear what God is doing in, in and through it in spite of our plans. I guarantee you this. The core of any ministry plan that we came up with comes down to this question. What do you need from God to trust him enough? To risk in a new way. How will you structure your life to get what you need from God 
to participate in what God is doing in whatever plan we have. That trust in God is more essential than any plan because any plan we come up with, and we'll have plans, that's great, that's, we'll do that, that's important. But any plan is dead in the water without the active trust in God to live it out. And you know, when you get that active trust in God, it's really able to sit still. It moves out. It presses outward. It grows from the grassroots. And you know, you really don't have to wait for permission or a program from our church to actively trust in God in an outreaching way. There's probably about 90 people in this room. If half of you each adopted a young family, took them lunch, made them cookies, got to know them, prayed for them, that's 40 to 45 families And then if half those families started visiting our church the next six months, that's 20 families dropping by. Hmm. See? See what active trust in God at the grassroots level does. Before we even have any big program or staffing thing. I'm sure some of you are already doing this. I know you are. Just actively engaging with unchurched folks is an act of trust in God. And the potential for that is awesome. But of course, that sort of trust is not self-generated. It doesn't come from us. I don't know about you, but I need a trust infusion regularly. I need a trust foundation in order to keep doing that outreach. Our space, you know, in Seattle, I recently read, has 250 tons of steel and over 5,600 tons of concrete that they use to create a foundation that's so massive that despite its size as a tower, the center of gravity of the space needle is below ground. It holds it up. Well, the same, the same goes for our faith in the scriptures. What is expressed in our call to totally trust God has a foundation that's deeper than us. Look at Psalm 25. Trust is at the top. David says, I trust you, Lord. Then look at what's below that. The foundation at the bottom is a massive dose of God's character. David knows he needs this. Look at the psalm. He says, I trust God. Then look at the root system of the psalm. Look at all the requests that David makes to ask what he needs. He says, show me God. Teach me God. Guide me God. Teach me God. Teach me God. Guide me God. Teach me God. This is how the verbs go. And then what does David want from God? He asks for your paths, your paths, your ways, your truths, your paths, your truth. This is how it goes in the song. Your mercy, your love, your love. David is only ever to trust God totally because he is intentionally immersed in God's character. Same goes for us. What do you need from God in order to actively trust God more and more and obey him? That's the core question. That'll be the fuel for any plan that we have. Do you need more grace? I recently had a friend of mine who disappointed me with something, not in this church, or I was hurt by something. And you probably all have these moments, maybe you can relate. You're upset, you're disappointed, and so you want to turn up and just walk away. That was my humor. You know, get up and just walk out. You know, kind of get up and turn your back and walk away on your friend because they disappointed you. Ever, any of you ever been tempted to that? Do you need more grace? God gave me grace this week for this friend and I stayed in and I stayed connected with him. It's hard. Do you need more grace? Do you need more energy? 
Are you tired? Need more hope? Need more forgiveness? Need more sustaining faith? Go get it. (laughs) Come get it. This is what we need to rearrange our lives, to prepare a way for the Lord, that we might shine like the biggest trees in the best windows. Plans, great, we're going to have them. Assessments have their place, we need them. Numbers and crunching numbers and, and future planning and all that, that's really good and important. But none of it means diddly do without the trust in the one who is dependable. A trust that propels us to move, that can't sit still because we are so aware because we're immersed. That's why we have Bible studies here, prayer groups, worship, fellowship of believers, spiritual conversation, worship. We want to be immersed in the one who wants to saturate our lives because it's God all the way down. He can do this. Prepare a way for God. Trust him more. Live in that enacted trust and make a path for God to never walk out, but to be all in. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen.